Hello, and welcome to the Makers.dev podcast episode number eight. My audio is terrible. Chris, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. I uh, hopefully have good audio. <laughs> your, Where... your audio sounds great. Great. Yeah, uh, I'm doing pretty well this week. Um, kind of winding down for the year a little bit. Um, how about you? I'm currently in New Mexico on a ski trip with my family, which is why I'm in a very strange place with a very strange microphone setup. I forgot to bring my high quality microphone. Uh, how do you how do you look at vacations and, and things like that? Is that a thing that you optimize for that you plan for? Do you it, it can sort of be more difficult to justify taking a trip when the buck rests with you? It's it's much safer to take a vacation if you're just sort of a, a cog in a machine. But if you are the machine and you have to justify shutting everything down and putting things on hibernation, uh, how do you think about that? Yeah, that's something I'm not super good at. Um, I think a lot of indie makers, like you get going and you start doing something you like, and then it's, you know, it's the end of the year. A lot of people take vacations around this time and I should be taking some kind of vacation probably, uh, but I know that I'm going to work on projects. <laughs> so I don't, um, every so often I will take a vacation where I like shut my computer for a whole week and they always feel really good. Um, but I, I just don't do that very often. And so, yeah, uh, how about you? Do you ever shut down and, and turn things off? I have. And a, a, a problem that I think I consistently run into is I like work so much that it's difficult for me to, like, if, if I'm approaching a, a span of a week, this this trip is a week, and it's so much fun hanging out with siblings, and uh, they brought some of their friends, and we've been playing games and watching TV shows and, like, uh, going skiing. And the longer I go without working, the, the it feels like the bigger this itch grows in the back of my mind of, like, the place where I left off all of my projects, I stopped for some reason. The, I didn't know the next step forward, or there was a, a complicated puzzle I was trying to figure out. And the longer I go away from work, the more the solutions to those puzzles just slowly drip in. And so then the longer I spend away from work, the more the backlog of, oh my gosh, of course, <laughs> here's all these easy wins. Here's all these solutions that my subconscious has just dropped in my head. And so the bigger the pressure is to, to go back to work. So it was so frustrating. I found myself in the middle of skiing on this beautiful day, the snow was fresh and the powder was great. And I was sitting there next to my brother and we were chatting. My brain just going to like, oh, and here's exactly how we would write that piece of code to, to make this thing happen. And I don't, I don't know that I want that. Like if I, I think if I had full control of my consciousness, I would want to be able to shut that off and be able to, to be fully present in the moment of, no, I'm skiing right now. This is about skiing and being present with my brother. And uh, I, it, it, it feels almost like a curse of uh, pulling <laughs> me back to work. So that's, I'm, I, I, I'm looking for a balance of, okay, the thing to keep me sane is to steal away for two hours a day and to plan that in. And then that, that flushes everything out and lets me push forward and, and stay present. Uh, but I, I aspire to that meditation ideal of being able to just let go and being able to be fully present and enjoy time off. Yeah, it was, I would say it was definitely different when I had a full-time job. I think I was able to disconnect more because like there were other people taking care of the company when I was gone, you know, like, but when it's, it's your own projects, like, first of all, it's projects that you've hopefully optimized for things you like working on. And, um, also like if you're the only one doing it, then the work doesn't get done if you're away. Right. So you probably feel some sense of guilt for that too. Um, I like how you talked about like puzzle pieces dropping into place. I've definitely felt that before. Um, like you just, you just understand exactly how to finish a problem or something. And then it's frustrating when you can't do it. Yes. Uh, one thing, one thing that might help is 
So there's this kind of practice of uh, writing down basically all your thoughts. Um, you can do it every day. You can do it, you know, at different intervals. But the idea is you just empty your head onto paper. And so um, maybe if you just empty, you know, your idea onto paper, then you know that it exists in the world outside of your brain. And then you can give yourself permission to sort of forget about it uh, until you get back to, you know, to, to doing it. So you don't have to actually implement it, but just write down what you were thinking about. Maybe that helps. That helps me, I think. I love that. That definitely does help. That's similar to a practice that I've sort of adapted from getting things done and this other practice uh, that I've stolen things from called morning pages where you just sort of do stream of consciousness and from from getting things done, the idea of buckets that anytime you have an idea drip down, you, you capture it in a bucket. Absolutely, that helps. That does relieve some of the pressure. And I think, I think what I'm experiencing in this trip is more just excitement at the prospect of doing the work that like legitimately doing the work was more fun than skiing, which is wild because like <laughs> yeah. skiing, I got to go to a place and I got to pay money and it's this whole thing. And we had to drive 10 hours out here. And, uh, it's, it's like one of the, one of the most fun things you can do. Uh, and yet in, in optimizing for enjoyment of conscious experience, my brain is giving me like, oh no, the more rewarding thing to do is to be doing this work and to be implementing these ideas. I had this thought, uh, I, I took a trip to Costa Rica. I think it was uh, about a year and a half ago. So much fun, learned how to scuba dive and scuba diving was just completely immersive because that was this whole new technical challenge. And oh, there are so many names of all the different pieces and uh, you could die. So it's, <laughs> oh, I was just fully present in the moment. And then after that, I was sort of looking for other things to do and saw that there was a zip lining thing. Zip lining is a typical thing tourists do in Costa Rica. And zip lining was so much fun for about 15 minutes. And after I'd gone through the zip line, just beautiful picturesque like you're going through the trees and it's this oh you're you're it's a 60 foot drop and you got the harness on and you're zooming around at 40 miles an hour and after like four times of doing that i remember thinking like okay uh well we, we kind of got this down if i had free reign of this <laughs> i could be doing some fun things of like i don't know trying to go faster or uh trying to trying to do weird things with the harness or uh do it multiple people at once but this is very handholdy they're they're trying to make sure that you're safe and I found myself getting pulled back to thinking about projects and work and things uh, that uh, I, on, on one hand, I feel incredibly fortunate that I have found this very repeatable, very rewarding way to be spending my time. And on the other, uh, I don't, I, I, I would like, I would like to be practicing presence. I would like to, I, I would like to in the moment when I'm, you know, slacklining or, uh, Ziplining in Costa Rica or skiing down a mountain, I'd like to be fully present in that. I want to, I want to be fully embracing the, the traits of, of, uh, the thing that I'm doing, uh, which I'm having difficulty doing even after capturing the ideas. Uh, and that the way I'm articul articulating that to myself is just like, uh, it seems more fun to be working on projects than it is to be doing these entertainment <laughs> things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, you know, you're aware of it, so you can you can force yourself to do some of the fun things that you <laughs> you know are going to be enjoyable. But um, you know, yeah, because you have the rest of the year or the rest of your non-vacation time to work, I guess. Um, the uh, morning pages, by the way, for anyone listening, is comes from a book called The Artist's Way, and uh, that's a good book for like it talks about writing out basically anything you're feeling in the morning. So like just 
long form, you know, write three pages uh, per day, I think they suggest. And it's a really good idea for just dumping your brain in the morning and then you can kind of uh, get to work for the rest of the day. It's been invaluable. I'm curious in your position, because you have a, you have a family, you have kids who presumably like vacations more than work. Uh, <laughs> what's, how do you, how do you make that calculus? Is there a, and, and COVID is making things weird too, but right. are, is there a thing that you're planning or something you're thinking about for the, the end of the year? Yeah, well, so we kind of have two two types of vacations. So this year, uh, my wife's parents are quarantining for two weeks and we're doing a strict quarantine for two weeks so that we can come together at Christmas. So it's just going to be usually like her brothers and sisters would come to, but um, they're all the way across the country. So her parents just live an hour away. You know, they're going to drive down and hopefully we have a safe Christmas that way. Um, so that'll be at my house. So I know that I'm going to do projects, uh, but I will also like very specifically take time to be with everyone as well you know so like when people are doing family type things i will be doing family type things um but you know during home vacations there's probably always a point where people kind of do their own thing and i will mm -hmm. probably be working on projects during that time um the second type is like where you travel somewhere so you know you go uh you know on wherever um i definitely do much less work there and I, I guess I find myself wanting to do work less. Um, I still have some moments like you talked about where I was like, okay, I want to work on this project or something. But um, I also find it, it easier to unplug when I'm actually away somewhere. Um, mm. there's, so, there's so many new things to do in new places that I, I do those instead of working. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see how this goes, you know, small Christmas at home this year and see how that impacts my, or if I work on things or not. That'll be fun. And that sounds like a high probability choice to, to be planning ahead for stealing time away when everyone's doing their own thing to be doing work. And I, I feel that too, in the, in the context of your house, okay, well, this is the place where you do work. All of your things are your, your computer's there to do work. Right. Your desk is right there. Uh, in a, in a lull in conversation, if people are watching TV or something that, that makes it so much easier to, to just steal away and think, ah, you know, there's, there's this bug I was thinking about that, uh, I could go in and knock out. I think I, I think I used to feel very guilty about that, which would then build up resentment towards the people I was with that I, I couldn't fully articulate why I was feeling restless in the moment. And I think having this context now of, oh, I just really enjoy doing work. And if I'm not, if I'm not doing some sort of meaningful work every day, uh, I have a, I tend to have a, a worse quality of experience. Um, so cool. Good, good, uh, personal growth on both ends. Uh, I have a fun update about this podcast. The oh. thing that I mentioned last week about automatically slurping up the video version of the podcast and spitting it out into, into uh, transistor. I did it. The, the audio awesome. version was like three or four days late because it just took time to implement the code. Uh, oh, it's, it was annoying in the, in the transistor API, I had to self host the MP3. I couldn't just post the file to the transistor mm -hmm. API. So I had to figure out like, okay, I guess I send this to Google drive and then send them the link, but it's beautiful. Oh my gosh. And it's just like, I have the code to do that now. And I just need to run the script and it'll, it'll do it. And that's one step removed from, well, just wait until I publish a new YouTube video. And anytime I do that, slurp it back up. So I don't need to do anything. I feel like. Uh, this is just getting so streamlined. I, I love this machine uh, that that's getting built. It's there, there's almost no effort that I'm putting into it. And every piece of effort that I need to put into it, I'm very conscious of, okay, what's the next step where this could be automated. Uh, co contrasting that with 
this last week, I tried to automate some, or I tried, I tried to outsource some video editing to uh, people on Fiverr. I was getting quotes all over the board that were like 80 to $300 to edit hmm. this 40 minute video that I uh, wanted to figure out. And there would still be work for me in that process of like, I still have to have a pipeline of uploading the video to Google Drive or some shared storage and then getting to them and then getting the video back and it's gotta be uploaded somehow. I'm, I'm really starting to shamelessly embrace this tactic that it feels like I have with this sort of repeatable process of automate it as much as possible. I am the only human intervention and any place where I'm spending my time, just be very critical of if there's a single button I have to push, don't be afraid of investing three hours so that that button push happens automatically. Uh, so uh, I'm very proud of that. The The podcast machine is <laughs> getting well underway. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, one thing I thought of, you said you had to upload to Google Drive and then to Transistor uh, and not to make you rewrite anything, but could you like use NGRAC locally? So you just spin up an NGRAC real quick and then self like host it on your local machine. And Oh, that would have been then, so much easier. Then you don't have that's to do really two steps. Idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah anyway. Oh, that's beautiful. And then it's, yeah, and then it's just getting it from my hard drive. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the way to go. Huh. And also, I feel like the much better option here would just be transistor that the API accepts file uploading this totally. that anytime I deal with files on an API it's so much work from a technical mm. perspective like there's so many edge cases like what if something goes wrong what if it you know you drop a packet what if you like halfway through something the file fails then do you like so I yeah. totally with a small team they have I could totally see them not wanting to do that for sure makes sense yeah yeah, that's part of why uh, file inbox is a thing. File uploads yeah. are surprisingly <laughs> incredibly difficult, uh, especially for for lay people. Uh, yeah, very difficult. Oh, another update. We moved from Slack, where we were chatting about this podcast, to your thing, async.dev. It's great. It works on mobile. It works in the web. Uh, I love it. There's like a little quirks here and there just because... It's not <laughs> Slack. There haven't been hundreds of thousands of hours of attention paid to this, but you built something fully functional. It does file uploads and we can have mentions and there's notifications. Ah, fantastic job. That's a, it's such awesome. a cool product. Yeah, great to hear. Yeah, uh, I love dogfooding it because um, like using it myself on this project and the other project, because I definitely, it, like you said, there's a few quirks. And so I'm really focused on fixing those. Um, like notifications, uh, they exist, but I want them, I want to be able to specify exactly like what I want emails for and what I want notifications for. So I'm building that next. Um, I really want WebSockets, uh, even though like it doesn't like make te technical sense. <laughs> like it's harder to do everything with WebSockets, but that's just what I want. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see what else. Oh, like even like uh, like the loading animation is a little like clunky as it comes in. So I'm going to fix that, even though that provides probably no monetary value. Um, <laughs> so yeah, all these little things that I just want to fix just because I'm using it. Uh, I, th I think, and I think that's totally fine. Like that's what makes really good products. Uh, and the, the whole reason I can do that is because I know where the end state is going. Like the fact that I'm using this and I know what I want to do means I can do all these little things along the way. Um, now, arguably, I should do this exactly the opposite way and get customers first, but uh, <laughs> but I'm not. So, like like we said in the one podcast, I'm doing everything wrong, and we'll see what happens. So yes, <laughs> yeah. Which this is this is a good segue into an idea I'd like to ask you about. I feel like so the, the, doing everything wrong from a business perspective looks like optimizing for the thing that you're most passionate about. Of like 
yeah, WebSockets doesn't necessarily make sense, but it would make it nicer for you. That, that would be a nicer product. You'd be more proud of it. It's kind of fun to do that. It, it's uh, Rails is what you're building this in? Yeah, I'm building on Rails. Although, so WebSockets on Rails are tricky. And so, mm. especially with server restarts and stuff. And so I'm thinking about using an API to do it. There, there's like, there exists APIs that do just WebSockets. Um, the problem is they get really expensive mm. uh, based on the number of users you have connected. But if I'm charging per user, that's not a problem. The mm. Um, and we can talk about this later too, but if I ever make it so that people can use it for free, then that's when WebSockets become a real problem because it costs mm. money per WebSocket basically. So, um, yeah, anyway. Is that substantial? What does that cost per WebSocket? I imagine that's like... It, it can be. If you, use these, nah, if you use these third, third-party ones, um, uh, I can get the exact thing, but uh, it... It can't like so if you do it yourself with Rails, and maybe that's the maybe that's the answer. Like by the time I get to that scale, then I'll do it myself. You know, with Rails or with just Node, right? So like, yeah, you can use uh, Node DigitalOcean instance and probably do ten thousand concurrent WebSockets, but um, it can get expensive. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd be surprised if that was a cost that mattered, unless they're just drastically overcharging for WebSockets. It. So it doesn't matter as long as I charge per user or sort of go after businesses. But if I okay. go after, like, if I want to be able to use this for, f like, free communities, that kind of thing, which I'm yeah. sort of thinking about, um, then then it gets expensive. I mean, and also, like, you know, if you have 10,000 concurrent people, then you mm -hmm. need lots of, you know, multiple servers with multiple failovers. And, you know, so... Sure. and. Maybe by the time I get there, I don't care because you have a team of people working on it or something. Right, right. And also, if you have 10,000 concurrent users, my gosh, that's not like number of users. That's 10,000 active concurrent users actively yeah. getting WebSockets. Like, I think that'll probably be the least of your problems at that point. Uh, <laughs> right, I expect <laughs> if, so. <laughs> if you're not charging anyone, uh, then okay, that's we have we have bigger problems. Uh, this, uh, going a little further down this tangent, this is uh, part of the reason why... I've switched my default infrastructure to Firebase. On Firebase, you get concurrency and WebSockets for free. Uh, and you just build your UI in such a way that it can handle data getting pushed in. You, you, your data source can be constantly updated. Uh, and oh my gosh, it's just beautiful. And it's baked in offline support and concurrency and multiple users. And oh, it's like, again, from a business perspective, probably doesn't matter, but it, oh, it's just so nice and I love it. Uh, so pulling this back to the question I'd like to ask you, um, in the part-time YouTuber Academy, there was a guest workshop by David Purell, uh, Dave Purell, uh, who runs a $6,000 writing course called Passage of Writing. Uh, and he's a prolific writer and he, he's uh, trained several very successful writers. Uh, his his pitch is sort of to, to boost your career no matter what that you're what you're doing. Uh, writing is one of the most important places that you can be spending your time. And he had a quote when asked in this workshop, how do you choose what to write? How do you how do you figure out what the most marketable uh, thing to be writing is so that you can better serve your audience? And his quote went along the lines of, if you're properly curious about the world, you have no choice but to submit to your creativity and follow what you're passionate about instead of making what you think the market wants. And I got that sense from him that he's writing what he's most passionate about. And he, he was talking in his room and there were just books all over the floor and he, he was so excited. Someone asked him like, what, what books are you reading right now? And he, 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 a smile came over his face and he was like, oh, we got this one and this thing. And, uh, and oh, this, this one's for this project I'm working on. And I feel like his career 
would be completely different if he was approaching it from this, what seems like a shorter term mindset of making things that the market wants, as opposed to following his, his passion, following your passion and, you know, building web sockets when it doesn't make sense, seems like the better way to optimize for your career. It's sort of this classic problem of the, the artist wanting to make work that uh, inspires them that they like, or making the work that uh, is, is the most commercially successful. Um, how do you, how do you think about that balance? That's a, that's a question that I'm chewing on of, uh, it, it seems like it's a spectrum. Uh, it seems like you could be all the way on the side of, I am the artist who only does art for the sake of purity. And uh, I'm going to implement WebSockets, even if it's my own thing that no one else is ever going to see. And then I'll throw away the code base at the end. Uh, or if you're all the way on the side of, uh, you know, I, I cater to uh, investment bankers and make very boring software for them that I hate. And I hate investment bankers, but that's <laughs> the thing that makes me the most money. Uh, where do you see yourself on that balance? And how do you, how do you make choices of if you're moving in one direction or the other? Yeah, so it's definitely it can be tricky because it's it's a balance. It's also um you can definitely be passionate about something that will make you no money. And so if you need to live and survive, then you have to, you know, in this world we live in, right? You need money unless you, you know, go live in the forest and forage for everything, which some people do, right? And that's what they're passionate <laughs> about, so they do. Um, Goals. Right, exactly. So, I think you can make I think you can make anything work, but if you want an, a, like a fancy lifestyle in a city and, but you don't want to work ever, then you, you like, you can't do that. If you don't want, if you don't want to work for money, then you have to go, you know, do arguably a harder lifestyle, which is go farm and forage and stuff. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I have a few thoughts about this. One is there's almost certainly something that you are curious and passionate about that will also make you money. And so maybe, you know, and so it sounds like this author has found that, which is, which is fantastic. I think a lot of people though, they feel really stressed when they haven't found that. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe investment banking, for example, you can make a lot of money there. And some people probably really love that lifestyle, but it also probably burns people out like crazy because they go mm -hmm. there for the money and then find out that the work isn't fulfilling. So yeah, you need to find work that is fulfilling to you that, that can also support whatever lifestyle you all, you also want. Um, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of other topics we get into, like lifestyle design, you know, like, what do you want to be doing? Uh, Paul Graham has a few great quotes here. I think this is from his um, before the startup talk. And the two talks, the two things he says there are, when you're thinking of things to do for startups, now this is high growth startups, but it's, if you think about like, whatever you're interested in, just go, you know, ruthlessly and vigorously explore that. And there's probably... Be because if you're smart enough to do the startup in the first place, you're probably interested in interesting things and interested in them in a way that other people will find useful. And so that that's kind of the same thing. You know, if you, if you just go after whatever you're interested in, then you could probably find a way to make it work. Um, and then the other thing he says, which is more about lifestyle design is like, what do you want to win by doing? So do you want to, you know, get to the end of your life and be happy that you spent a career in investment banking? Some people probably do. Um, or do you want to be, you know, basically think, think critically about what you want to your life to look like when you're done. That's a good framework. I think I vaguely remember reading something of his that talks about stamp collecting as an analogy for this, that if 
people who are interested in stamp collecting, uh, seems like that's something that you couldn't possibly make money on. But if you just dig deeply enough, if that really is what you're passionate about, if that is what you want to win by doing, then go for it and <laughs> dig as deep as possible. <laughs> and the types of people who tend to be stamp collectors also tend to be very good startup founders because they just have this sense in them of following things they're passionate about. Was that, does that ring a bell? Was that, I don't, I don't remember, that. I don't remember okay. that specifically, but. I like that framing of what do you want to win by doing? Okay. So for, for, for you in your personal case, uh, what do you want to win by doing? What's the thing that you're passionate about that you would love to, uh, be making enough money that you didn't have to worry about money? Yeah. I asked that to myself all the time. Uh, it used to be that I thought I was going to go after this kind of high growth startup um, mentality. Uh, and then, you know, I got a family and I, I just don't want to do that anymore. It's not that I, f I don't feel like that dream was stripped away or anything. It's like now I'm a different person and I just don't want that anymore. So it's probably good that I didn't go after that. You know, I probably wouldn't have liked that lifestyle. Um, you know, that's why I enjoy doing my own projects. I enjoy working on whatever I'm going to work on. Um, one thing I love in spurts is consulting, independent consulting. Um, I really like helping other companies. Um, however, I, you know, four years into that and I discovered I don't want to do that forever. Um, I like some aspects of it, uh, but I don't, you know, want to do that forever. So now I'm, I'm trying this, uh, you know, make my own products kind of thing. And, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there is a single answer. I think I'll be different five years from now even. So I'm kind of optimizing my life for flexibility in that way. Uh, I don't want to lock myself into anything that I'm, you know, five years from now, I'm not going to want to do. So that's mm -hmm. sort of what I'm thinking about now is optimize for flexibility. How about you? You, uh, yeah. I like that. I think my perspective has shifted on this. Even since we started this podcast, I remember in the first or second episode, the question I kept pulling back to was, okay, well, how's that going to make you more money? <laughs> and I'm, I'm feeling myself shifting towards being okay, doing things that don't make financial sense that I'm excited about, uh, doing things the wrong way and seeing how it goes. Uh, I, I don't have like infinite money, but I, I have an amount of money that I feel comfortable making these sort of long-term bets of like, I, I can't, I can't immediately see how the thing that I'm working on will make money, but, uh, you know, making a, a automatic video editor, that seems like something that potentially has uh, a lot of market value. And if that's the thing that in the moment I am the most passionate and excited about making, well, great. Let me work on that then. Uh, you know, if I can't really choose the thing that I'm going to feel the most excited about. And so optimizing for riding those waves of passion, uh, if it's work that that eventually I would want to do. Well, the best time to do them is when I'm feeling the most excited about them. So I don't know, uh, <laughs> but it, it feels like a safe bet to, uh, as long as, as long as money's not a problem, as long as like, you know, I, I can buy food and I can, uh, have, uh, have, uh, clean water. And, uh, if there's a thing I need, I can buy it. Uh, it, it, it feels okay to be not forcing myself to do the work that seems like it's the most financially viable, which is frustrating for me because I feel like that's file inbox. 
And it seems like there's so much low hanging fruit in that of uh, different projects and talking to customers and uh, re-implementing it in this new serverless architecture that like on, on weeks where we've had this podcast, where I set a very definitive goal for myself of like, okay, you know, I'm going to get these three things done in violin box just to push it forward a little bit. It feels like pushing a boulder uphill <laughs> versus this last week, my gosh, I, and, and the week before that also, I, I got so much done that had nothing to do with file inbox directly, but that was just a blast. It didn't feel like work. It, it, it was stuff like making that pull-up counter. I finished that. It's great. It's amazing. Oh, it's so cool. I saw and that now on your Twitter. Yeah. Oh, it's, it makes a little beep. I think I'm going to make it, uh, do the little Mario beep sound like the, the coin <laughs> when you get the coin. Yeah. Uh, and I, I want to do a new sensor on it. Oh, that's, that's a whole thing. Uh, but oh my gosh, it was just so much fun. And also like part of, part of the reason why it might be fun is that in the back of my head, I sort of had this process going of, oh, but the, this isn't what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be uh, dogging the file inbox customers. And oh, I'm, I'm horribly behind on uh, customer support email right now. Uh, but like got stuff on this video editor done uh, to do the automatic video editing, uh, pushing forward things in my knowledge management system that are just magical that I think are going to feed into this writing engine so I can be automatically linking these thoughts together in uh, a sort of a Zettelkasten. and uh, oh is so I, I I think I think for this next week I want to experiment with fully embracing that of I, I would like to get caught up on customer support emails that's something that I'm feeling guilty about that just feels like uh, an emotional hurdle to get over of I don't uh, and I've been through this before and I, I have systems for doing it. I, I just want to be caught up. So uh, the next time we have an episode, I would like to have uh, zero outstanding customer support emails. I think I'm at like 15 or something now, which is nothing. I, I could finish that uh, after this call. Um, but then I think I'm just going to like follow what I want to do and see what happens. That's <laughs> it's, it's sort of what I've done by accident these last two weeks. So uh, let, let's set a conscious intention of I'm going to, do the work that's most exciting in the moment and uh, see where that goes. Yeah, I've definitely felt that too. Like I do some of my best work when I'm working on something that I'm not supposed to be working on. <laughs> and I felt, <laughs> I felt that since college. I don't know. Yeah. Like, you know, I procrastinate on the main thing and then I do something else that turns out to be really cool. Um, the other thought I had is just how, like, I, you know, we should probably point out how, I guess, privileged we are to have some money in the bank and also have skills. Like I'm not worried because if all my money goes to zero, I could still get a consulting gig, you know, like tomorrow. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I, I've spent a decade working on building up that network so that I could do that. So like, yeah, it, it's probably very frustrating to hear this. If you, you know, don't have any contacts and you're just wondering how to get your first, you know, job or consulting job. Um, so I guess, you know, it, it does get better is one of the things I'll say, but also, you know, like, yeah, I think anyone in tech probably is, um, is, is able to design their lifestyle that way if, if they want mm -hmm. to just take, takes time probably. That's a, that's an important point to bring up. I do feel incredibly privileged to be in this position and to be able to work. Uh, I'd like to add a distinction though, of, I think feeling comfortable with the amount of money that I had, that there was a time when I had exactly the same amount of money and I did not feel secure. Hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that was a, it, it, it was sort of a, a mind shift in a lifestyle change of really critically thinking about, okay, well, where am I spending money and where do I have to spend money? 
oh, I'm eating out, you know, three times a week. That doesn't feel like a lot. But now the amount that I'm spending on food is five times higher than it is if I have these systems of uh, grocery shopping and uh, being able to uh, make my own food, which is actually a better product because uh, I, in time tracking this, I spend less time and money on food when I'm making it myself. Uh, going to Chipotle and like ordering it, that that has a real time and money cost. That's uh, more than if you you know buy a, a pork loin and slow cook it, and then just have it in the fridge all the time. Um, and in a in a similar way, like trying to drive as as less as possible and trying to keep my living footprint down of not uh, not staying in places that uh, are stretching my budget, the more I'm able to reduce my costs, the more freedom and comfort I feel in being able to make these types of experiments. And in thinking about that, like uh, alternate reality, Christian, I don't know, went to medical school and uh, <laughs> is making a quarter million dollars a year and has an apartment that costs $2,500 a month in a major city and feels less secure financially than I do right now because his his burn rate is higher. Uh, and and the, the lifestyle creep has made it so that it's harder for him to feel secure with a smaller amount of money. Uh, yeah. I was going to say lifestyle inflation is a real thing for sure. Uh, as a very silly example of this, I had to go on Amazon and buy three pairs of scissors the other day because we couldn't find them. And we need one, like we want one for the upstairs craft room and one for the main floor and then one for the basement kids room. <laughs> like, so it's like, I had to buy three pairs of scissors. It's like, you know, I, that, that kind of thing. And then that happens for everything. Um, the, the other thing, which is interesting, is you talked about like uh, going out to eat. I was really afraid the pandemic was going to increase our spending a lot because we order online a lot more and we order like takeout more mm. now than we ever did just because we don't feel like cooking. Um, but actually, it's gone down quite a bit because we're not traveling. We're not going you know, like doing anything. Um, so that's kind of interesting, you know, like just like how much. I don't, I don't know where the, the point is for that, but like you think your lifestyle might be one way. Like I thought we were going to be spending a lot more on stupid online things, which we are, but the the fact that we're not like going on vacations makes up for it. I don't know. Yeah. So you, you, you can change your spending around uh, quite a bit, I think. It's kind of spending is insidious in the same way that uh, spending time is insidious. The, the Looking at it objectively from a, a third person perspective of, okay, here's the spreadsheet. Here's where my money actually went. Here's the spreadsheet of where my time actually went. It's very unintuitive for me, the, the, the time distortion and the money distortion. Like, because, you know, in the moment, pre pandemic, uh, that might play out as, oh, you know, it's a whatever Thursday evening, let's go out to the park. And then now oh, we're at the park, uh, let's buy a hot dog. Uh, you don't really think about it. You don't think about, oh, you know, it's only, it's only $6 for a hot dog. That's not a, a big deal. But <laughs> it's about, uh, you know, if you could look at it from the third person pers perspective of, okay, what's the total amount of expenses that I incurred? by going out places that I wouldn't have incurred if I was in starts to become substantial. And in, in a similar way, that's the thing that I found for time. If I'm not, if I don't have an objective way to measure it, my intuitive sense of where I'm spending time and where the places to get back more time are, are crazy off. Uh, something that I've done so much better at recently, sort of accidentally for the last two weeks, uh, optimizing for work that I'm most passionate about is, I was lamenting for the first few episodes of this podcast, the amount of time that I was just burning on YouTube. I spent almost no time on YouTube in the last two weeks. That that just became a thing that was not interesting to me. And day to day, 
if you would ask me like, okay, how much time did you spend on YouTube today? And how much time do you think you spent over the last two weeks? If I wasn't keeping track of it, I think I would have said something like, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe a little bit less, but it was hours less. It was hmm. like a substantial amount of my week was brought back, pulled back from YouTube and put into projects that are things that are more worthwhile, that are places where I'd rather be spending my time. It's, it's, it's very difficult to get a sense of that in the moment. Uh, I'm, I'm living in the present. I only have uh, a conscious awareness of like, you know, plus or minus five minutes. Uh, and so without the sense of flattening it out and, and keeping a better record of it, I feel like uh, that that sort of cost analysis would be very difficult to get. Uh, so uh, if you're a listener of this podcast uh, and you're interested in freeing up more time or money, this is a question that I'm very interested in. I would love to talk to you. Uh, if you could reach out, this this is something that I've spent a lot of time in, like figuring out systems to be able to track this. Uh, that's a, uh, that we, Chris and I are speaking from very privileged positions and it may very well be that the position that you're in could be just as privileged with a change in mindset and it, and it, a difference in tracking. Uh, and also I could see a perspective of like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, this is, this is only for people who are in software. This doesn't make sense for anyone else. Uh, people with actual real jobs who can't work from home. Like this is completely unattainable, but I'm, I'm optimistic. I think, I think there's, there's a lot to be said for mind shift changes. That's a, it's a powerful force. Yeah. I mean, there's this kind of sense that, you know, you can't, can't control your situation, but you can control your actions. Um, so if, yeah, if you control your mindset, then perhaps you can, uh, change your situation that way. Um, yeah, it's tricky though, because you know, there are, there's, there are a lot of, yeah, like frontline workers, for example, they can't work from home. And so, mm. you know, and then by the time they're done working, they're so exhausted, they can't do anything else, you know, like, yeah, yeah I don't know. My sister's a nurse. And so I sort of get that sense a little bit, but, um, uh, I, we're it, good that we like doing software, I guess. I love it. It's a, uh, we, we picked good things to be interested in. Similarly, one of my best friends is a emergency doctor. Uh, and so is his girlfriend and both of them just are chronically sleep deprived. And yeah. I have so much sympathy, sympathy for them of like, if I was in their position, I could not get anything else done. I would have zero energy to do anything. And they're getting things and they're like, they're hosting parties and they're going on trips. And, uh, they tell me the stories of, they, they were with me actually on the trip I took to Costa Rica, uh, to go ziplining and their story of getting there is like, they worked overnight and then went straight from the hospital to pick up the bag that they had just packed 12 hours earlier to the airport and then got like, you know, two hours of sleep on the plane and then arrived at like 10 in the morning in Costa Rica and then had a full day plan to do other stuff. And I don't like, I, I would be a mess. I would not be functional. And they're, yeah. they're here. Like they're not, I have seen them well slept and you know, they're not, they're not at a 10 in, uh, enjoyment or like cognitive ability, but they're functioning humans who are like doing things and making plans. And, oh, I'm, I'm so impressed by that. So if, Maybe that's med, med school that trains you to to go with no yeah, sleep and still do things. Hardens you up. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I've I've gotten soft uh, since college. Uh, 
Cool. Uh, I my plan for this next week is just to the, the one hard goal I have is to get caught up on customer support emails. Uh, otherwise, I am just going following what I'm most passionate about, and I'm gonna I'm gonna see where that goes. Uh, last week we talked about that you were curious about integrating Meeting Place with async.dev, maybe using async.dev as a lead magnet or somehow connecting the two. Uh, what are your goals for this next week? What would you like to be focused on? Yeah. So this next week, uh, the next two weeks are kind of weird. It's the end of the end of the year, and so a lot of you know, I imagine I will be doing a lot of not working, um, which probably means I want to do the things that, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, about uh, in async.dev. So I'm going to add WebSockets. I'm going to add notification preferences and stuff. Um, cool. I really want to get this to, there's probably a half dozen little things on the Slack integration that I want to get done before I can submit it as a Slack app. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'll do those until January, but that is kind of my next big push. And then it will be a fully functioning Slack app that actually does everything that other Slack apps, similar Slack apps do. Um, and that's when I feel like I can actually turn on the, you know, monetization for it and see, and see what people do with it. Um, also on the other community project, the thing that you mentioned about merging sort of the features of meeting place and async, uh, I think, and then what I talked about, about WebSockets with like a bunch of people on it at once. Um, I think it'd be really interesting to sort of use async.dev as a base for community. Um, for example, the, the thing I was thinking about specifically was like, there are developer communities that exist on Slack. A lot of people who run those don't like it because there's a lot of moderation responsibility for real-time chat. Um, and there are a lot of bad things, you know, negative things about real-time chat. And so it'd be very interesting to see what those communities might look like running sort of a more asynchronous style, like Twitter style feed. Um, so I've been thinking about that. I, I don't think I want to do anything about that necessarily, but it's just something I'm thinking about. So, cool. Yeah. Um, to make sure I got that for next week, you want to be focused on integrating WebSockets, which sounds like so much fun, uh, and polishing up notifications so that you have notification preferences for the type of notifi- notifications you're uh, receiving. And then the next big push, probably in January, is going to be the Slack integration. Is that right? Cool. Sounds good. I am very curious if you're not doing, if you're not doing the baked in rails WebSockets, and the third party WebSockets is prohibitively expensive. I'd be very curious what it would look like to bolt on a Firebase database, which is just designed for WebSockets. And there's a library in Ruby. Um, that might be, I, I, I haven't heard of anyone doing that sort of architecture before, uh, but if you're looking for a third option, I'd love to help you with that. I've, I've been doing a lot of work in integrating Rails and uh, Firebase. Yeah, once you mentioned that, I am definitely gonna look into it. <laughs> that was, I wrote that down as something, um, because yeah, a lot of the, there's two things I need WebSockets for, maybe two. <laughs> the first one is presence. So I don't, for example, for email notifications, I don't wanna send an email notification to a, like, that you got at mentioned in a comment, if you've already seen that comment, like that mm-hmm. seems redundant. Um, so I want to know if you got the comment or if, if you like saw the post. Um, and then the second thing is um, like act- actually, like if there's a new post popping it up into your, into your feed mm-hmm. um, or at least popping up a little notification thing that there is a new post. So those are the two things that I would like to do with WebSockets. And, and I don't know. It just it may not be necessary, especially if this thing is supposed to be asynchronous. Then maybe telling you to refresh it. But but what this is leading to is towards a desktop app because I want it like Slack. I want it to be able to just sit open and then I can check it without, um, you know, going to to the actual website. And so if 
if I want it to just sit open and update, then it either has to pull or it has to do WebSockets. And I think WebSockets is the cooler of the two options. So that's why I'm looking at it really. But WebSockets are so cool. <laughs> I think I, I built an app one time that ended up being profitable uh, on the backbone of, I was just curious about WebSockets and wanted to <laughs> build something in those. Oh, they're so cool. They're so cool. Uh, just just magic the way that they work. Uh, and the, the problems that you're talking about of uh, presence, that's, I'm, I'm remembering a specific blog post, I think from the official Firebase team is like, here's how you implement this feature of presence awesome. uh, that a lot of those real-time features would, would just be trivial in Firebase. The, the complexity would be like linking it together with Rails, but I think that's, that's a straightforward problem. Nice. I'm excited. This is a fun problem. I'm, uh, I'm excited for this feature. Uh, Chris, I think that's all I got. I think that's all I got too. Cool. Then I will see you next week. Goodbye. All right. See you next week. Also, did you figure out the...